Yes, Father. You deserve all the glory and all the praise through the good stuff, through the bad stuff, through the really bad stuff. Oh, Father, you are so trustworthy and so holy. Thank you for being with us and for being glad to be there, even in our mess. My word, Father, you are so good. <laughs> Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <sighs> I'm so glad to be with you all. <laughs> I'm glad that you're here. Thanks, guys. My name is Randy, for those of you who don't know me. Um, the four middle schoolers back there belong to me. My husband, Jairus, and I have had the privilege of being on the oversight team here at Regen for the last couple of years, and it has been such a blessing to serve you all. Um, if you have your Bible with you, turn to um, Romans 8. And if you don't have your Bible with you, you can open it in your Bible app. That's okay, too. We're going to be there in just a few minutes. Last week, Kyle launched our series on prayer with the disciples asking Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so I'm praying now in the words of the Jewish New Testament, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the food we need today. Forgive us what we have done wrong as we too have forgiven those who have wronged us. And do not lead us into hard testing, but keep us safe from the evil one. For kingship, power, and glory are yours forever. Amen. Jesus launches this master class in prayer with our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy seems logical. We would need to address someone, right? Sometimes we can be tempted to gloss over this part of the prayer, or prayer in general, almost like a to whom it may concern. And then we want to get to the good stuff, our worries, our complaints, our needs. It's almost like we're writing a formal business letter to God, as if anyone does that anymore or talking to an automated service or a chatbot, just waiting to hear, please press one. Or, you know, if you press zero a whole bunch of times, it gets you through that. Um, but that really isn't what prayer is at all. The words, the structure of this prayer, they're not some magical formula. And God isn't a faceless executive or a computer program, thankfully, right? <laughs> Yet each sentence of this prayer is significant. And I would say Jesus started with this one for a reason. 
This morning, we're going to zoom in and really just focus on the first line. As I was studying, three parts of that line jumped out at me. And I think the Father would like us to see a little more clearly. Just look at the first word. Our Father in heaven. Not just mine. Thankfully for all of you. <laughs> Not just yours. Thankfully for me, right? Ours. That word alone can be mind-blowing in times when we're struggling with individualism or isolation, right? Or when we're wrestling with conflict and division. Sound familiar? Yes. We're currently living in a moment that even Christians, those of us that are united in the name of Christ, seem to be divided over just about everything. This isn't the first time that the church has faced a moment like this, though. The first century church, mere decades after Jesus ascended, faced similar division. Meet me in Romans 8, and I'll show you just what I mean. Um, Paul is writing a letter to the Christians in Rome with hopes to visit them soon. The church has been established there for a while, but has run into some tension because there was a period of time that the Jewish Christians were exiled from the city. During that time, the Gentile Christians stepped up and continued the ministry, which was great, but they didn't hold fast to the cultural constraints that the Jewish Christians felt were so important. Things like circumcision, Sabbath, eating kosher. If you love bacon, say thank you, Jesus. <laughs> when the Jewish Christians came back into town, it was to a church that they no longer recognized, and they were not happy about it. Because everything that was essential to Christianity in the Jewish Christian's mind was gone. There was major disunity over who was right, who was wrong, and which direction they needed to go as a body of believers. Paul uses a huge portion of Romans to remind them of the basics of Christian faith. But it's not because they weren't smart that they needed several chapters of review. Not at all. He knew that they understood the gospel, but that wasn't enough. He wanted so much more for them. He wanted them to go deeper, to internalize, to live daily, and to even fall head over heels in love with Jesus and the Father that Jesus reveals. You see, when Jesus teaches his disciples... When Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, he uses a very specific word. A lot of you probably already know. He uses the word Abba. We aren't praying to a distant God somewhere up in the sky. That's very Disney, right? We're praying to Abba. It doesn't actually have a direct English translation. It means father, but it's more intimate, yet somehow still respectful. It's more like papa, kind of. 
So if we're children of God, we get to call him Abba. So in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14, we have Paul writing to this fractured Roman church. Honestly, he very well may have been thinking of the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray by first calling out to Abba. Paul writes in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Adoption quiets the questions of who is in and who is out by making it clear that Jews and Gentiles are adopted as part of God's family. They are seated at the same table. No matter what kind of disagreements or misunderstandings they may have, through God's grace, they are able to love one another through it, forgive one another, and pass the gravy at the same time. Just like that first century church, we are also seated at the same table. We're part of the same family. Democrat, Republican, independent, ambivalent, seasoned Christians, new, new believers, young and old. We are all one family. Abba is our father, seated at the head of the table, welcoming us all, passing out rolls that are somehow gluten and grain-free and vegan and somehow miraculously still delicious. And that's really all that matters. <laughs> the joy of being together and being with the Father soothes any hurt or bitterness. Friends, if the social media or the cable news that you're following are poisoning the food at the table, if they're making you feel hatred or animosity toward the people in this very room, or even superiority toward the people in this very room, take a break. If you have a political concern, by all means, write a letter to your congressman, give them a call, leave it there, and come back to the family table that we've all been adopted into. In the New Testament, adoption is a rich and multifaceted concept. And there's so much more about adoption that can stir us into greater understanding of prayer, our identity in Christ, and even the things that we have access to as we get to know and trust our Father's character. So we're going to dive a little deeper. These first century Roman Christians that were Paul's original audience were pretty familiar with the legal procedure of adoption. If a wealthy Roman citizen had no heir for his estate, he would adopt someone. A child, a teenager, or even an adult. From the moment the adoption was official, several things happened for this new son. First of all, 
His old debts and legal obligations were paid. Sounds cool, right? Second of all, he got a new name and was instantly slated to inherit all the father had. Third of all, his new father became liable for all his actions, his debts, his crimes, everything. And fourth, the new son had obligations to honor and please his new father. So when this original audience read this passage, they had a way deeper understanding than we do. God, the creator of the universe, sent Jesus, his rightful heir. And the moment that those adoption papers were signed in his blood, all of our debts were paid. We no longer had anything against us in the Father's eyes. And for that, we can thank Jesus. He gave us a new name. We can end up with a lot of names, right? Randy Melissa is a name that my parents chose for me. The meaning of it is protected honeybee, which I think is kind of cute. <laughs> And the Father certainly has protected me. But I have been called so many other names. Some of them are kind and uplifting. Some of them are super hurtful. We are shaped by the names that we answer to. And we shape others by the names that we call them. Can I tell you something? The only name that you need to answer to is the name that Abba speaks over you on your adoption day. God changed Abram's name to Abraham, Sarai's to Sarah, Jacob's to Israel, and Simon's to Peter. And through these new names, he spoke a new identity over them. He gave them something to live into. If you don't know what your new name is, you can ask him, and he will lovingly reveal it to you. And I've actually never told this story before I practiced preached, and of course I cried, because that's a thing that I do all the time now. So, <laughs> when I was in college, really searching for God, I was encouraged by a mentor to do exactly that, to ask God what my new name was. I'll never forget, she said in Revelation, it says all of our new names will be revealed to us. And so it can't hurt to ask him now, the worst he'll tell you is to wait. So I spent some serious time alone with God, first in praise and worship and then quietly asking, Hey, God, it's me. You say that you know me and that you have a new name for me, a new identity that you want me to live into. Would you mind telling me what it is now? If you don't, I'll totally still. But before I got done making excuses for him, just in case the answer was wait, or in case I just didn't hear from him, he whispered back. Sarah, 
And I'm like, well, okay, but, but wait. <laughs> I was sort of expecting like a word because most of the time when I've heard people do this, it's a word that they understand like beloved or chosen. So that couldn't have been the Lord. <laughs> How can I live into a name like that? And then the father whispered, daughter, look it up. <laughs> He's so patient with me. <laughs> so I did. And as the tears started to flow, I thanked him. Because in Hebrew, the name Sarah means princess. In a season where I was desperately searching for who I was in the world, for who I was in the kingdom of God, feeling like nothing and no one, the King of Kings had the kindness to gently reveal to me that I was his daughter, his princess. So, I tell you all of that just to say, it's worth it to ask. He longs for you to know who you are so you can live into your new identity. He also longs for you to know exactly what you have access to. Because as his adopted children, as his heirs with Christ, we have access to everything the Father has. The Psalms say he has everything, everything. All the animals in the forest and the cattle on a thousand hills, according to Psalm 50. But I don't know about you, even on my best days, I don't live like I have access to all of that. I am still worried about gas prices and diagnoses that I don't quite understand. I am still worried about the state of my house, which never feels quite big enough or clean enough for the six of us, let alone for joyful hospitality without that nagging question of, did someone check the toilet? <laughs> we are so fixated on what we need. Yet when our eyes are fixed on our Father, who has more than enough to provide for our needs and who gives us access to our full inheritance, we have what we need and so much more. As we receive the healing, the help, the provision, the full inheritance that he has for us, we might be surprised. His fulfillment of our needs may look a little different than we were expecting. There may be some growing pains as we adjust our plans to his. But when all is said and done, we will realize that even though things may not have fit our definition of good, they certainly did fit his. The brilliant Jackie Hill Perry said it super clearly. If God is holy, then he cannot sin. If God cannot sin, then he cannot sin against me. If God cannot sin against me, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? I need to say that again. If God is holy, then he cannot sin. 
If God cannot sin, then he cannot sin against me. If God cannot sin against me, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? This takes us to the final perk of this adoption process. Abba, trustworthy Abba, takes on responsibility for our actions by actively participating in shaping and guiding us. And he invites us to participate with him as he draws people to himself. But just like we don't love him to get our inheritance, because that's gross, we don't serve him to earn a place at the table. That place is ours. His, ple his pleasure is our privilege. Again, verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. It is this closeness, his spirit joining with ours to affirm that we are God's children that helps us stand firm when the enemy the world, and even our own voices are trying to convince us that we are orphans. His spirit joins with ours to affirm that we are God's children. This is God, Abba, Father, getting down to play blocks with us, or showing us how to bait a fishing hook and not minding one bit if we squeal a little at the sight of worm guts. This is God who spun the planets into orbit, leaning in close to realign your batting stance or putting your feet on his to teach you how to dance. This is God, our Abba Father, scooping you up after a hard day to sit with you and show you the sunset that he painted in the actual sky just to cheer you up. This is God, our Abba Father, showing up and being glad to be with you no matter what the circumstance. He is such a good Father. Paul goes on in verse 17. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Hit the brakes. Wait a minute. Sharing his suffering? It makes us pause, right? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. We have reached the second, less snuggly half of the line. Some of us think of discipline, and that is absolutely part of it. 
a loving father corrects his children. Tim Keller put it this way, a good father will lovingly discipline. He will not use his authority selfishly to indulge his own need to feel powerful or in control, but neither will he be so needy for his child's love and approval that he never does what is hard or difficult. If we are looking toward the Father, his correction may be as simple as a gentle nudge. Hey bud, not that way, over here. Right? It is his kindness that leads us to repentance after all. But if we're running off in the other way, distracted by other things, it may take a little more to get our attention. You know, a father is perfectly justified in yelling or even tackling their child to the ground if that child is chasing butterflies toward the edge of a cliff. I can think of a few seasons of my life that I really just felt like the father was being mean. But in hindsight, I can see that I was headed so far into danger and I was so distracted that he needed to get my attention. And of course, he scooped me up and lovingly walked me back to where I needed to be. His discipline is done in the context of relationship. And we can trust him because he's too holy to be less than perfectly trustworthy. And he promises to never leave us alone in our suffering. His goodness is overwhelming. And I'm so grateful for his closeness in that season now. Discipline is not the only suffering that Paul is referring to, though. As children of God, we grow to resemble our Father, to care about what he cares about, to see people that are far from him, and to ache with compassion the way he does. We also start to see our own sin a lot more clearly. It'll start to bother us, and we'll want to get it out of our lives, which is sort of unpopular. But as the Father helps us get more and more sin out of our lives, we are able to get closer to him, which is where we want to be. No matter how long or how closely we've been following Jesus, though, sometimes we need something to help us focus when we pray. I think that is also part of the reason Jesus started the prayer this way. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. It's easy to get a little mindless as we go about our lives. Sometimes we'll take our entire daily commute, arrive home from work, and realize we have no recollection of the drive. We literally operate heavy machinery on autopilot and prayer is no exception. In order to wake up in prayer, we need it to be a two-way conversation. We need to be actively looking for the Father as he desires to engage with us throughout our day 
and listening for his input. Otherwise, we run the risk of blowing off little miracles as luck or coincidence or just missing him completely. So during prayer, we combat the half-hearted days by focusing and pressing in with worship and listening. Some people like to start with gratitude journaling. I like to start by recalling images of the amazing things that God has done. I actually have a whole album on my phone that I just flip through, and I can't help but my heart just turns to the Father. And I start to ask the Father what he has to say. Then I have to force myself to sit quietly. This is not an easy feat. And I just write down whatever comes to mind without editing, without giving in to doubt or shame. I just write. Finally, I usually take my notebook or my phone, whatever I wrote in, and I share it with a spiritual mentor, someone that I trust, someone that knows the voice of the Father. Because the enemy is a liar who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One of his first priorities is to con the children of God into believing that we are nothing but orphans or slaves. He likes to act as a ventriloquist sometimes. He may try and convince us that the Lord is angry with us or that we're stupid for even trying to connect with the Father in this way. So it helps to have an extra set of ears. The enemy will do anything, anything, to create distance between us and the Father. He will try and convince us that we're slaves, that the cost of living in the Father's house and eating at the Father's table with our siblings in Christ is just way too high. So we should put on the shackles of slavery to sin or striving instead. He'll also try and convince us that we're orphans, that the Father isn't loving, that the Father isn't actually good, and so we would be better off to just live in this, on the streets. But Abba, he is strong and mighty. Abba knows where the snake is and what he is doing. Abba can protect his kids from the schemes of the enemy. We can lean into the Father's discipline, creating steps to be held accountable to by our community. We can trust that his very holiness means that while discipline probably won't be fun, it will be good. Know that no matter how you have felt about the Father up to this moment, there is a seat at the Father's table for you. The adoption, if it hasn't been final yet, it can be. You don't have to run anymore. He's cooked your favorite meal. He wants you to come and eat. And this week, when you pray, I want you to try something. Try praying. Father, just calling out to Abba. And just take a breath and give him a minute to remind you how much he loves you. 
Listen for his heart towards you. It may come through a scripture or a song. It may come through a warm feeling. Or something specific may catch your attention. And you may have to ask him for some clarity. Like, Lord, why did you get my attention with the caterpillar? If there are things in your heart that aren't resolved toward him or his people, places where doubt, fear, unforgiveness, anger, or hatred have been allowed to grow up, let him speak to those places and do some healing work there. Jenna's going to come up and lead response time. Afterwards, the oversight team will be available in the back for prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, for being so holy and so trustworthy and so good. Thank you for being glad to be with us. We're so grateful for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.